uh, or your iPads or your smartphones or, you know, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Well, let's first start with, well, chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. I want to talk for a little while this afternoon about uh, one of my favorite Bible characters. And I think I want to do it because I think he characterizes the stories that I want to tell characterize what I think God is doing in his church and what I think God is developing here. Uh, it's the story of David and Jonathan, and most of you are familiar with it. It's probably one of the greatest love stories, not only in the Bible, but in all all literature, really. Now, when I say love story, I'm not talking about romance. I'm not talking about a sexual thing or anything like that. I'm talking about a deep love story between two men that were deeply committed to one another at, at a very righteous level. And But it, it, it's that kind of story. I mean, when you, when you read it, that you can see that so clearly in it. And But I think also in that there's a very clear picture of how we build one another, how we can be available for one another, and so forth. So uh, look at 1 Samuel chapter 23. In fact, just before you go there, go back a little bit to chapter 18. This will give you a little foundation for what I want to say. Chapter 18, uh, verse... Four, no, verse one through four. After David, now let me set the background here. Uh, David had just come on the scene as a young boy, and he had just defeated Goliath. And most of us are familiar with the story of David and Goliath, and that was incredibly impressive to King Saul. So King Saul wanted to know more about this young man that literally saved Israel at that time. And so that's where it picks up. After David had finished talking with Saul, so David goes to the king, they meet, they talk. After David has finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, this would be Saul's son, became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his family. And Jonathan made covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took his robe off, he, the robe off he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Now, I'm not sure if you realize the full impact of that action. When uh, their hearts knit, Jonathan, or David, and King Saul connect, uh, and, and there's a lot of, uh, you can see in it a certain amount of jealousy from King Saul, but they meet, and he's grateful for what David has done in killing Goliath, but then Jonathan and him obviously sit down and start a conversation and their hearts knit together. And this becomes more than just a friendship. I mean, it's that it, it has, he loved him as his own soul. I mean, this is a deep, deep friendship. And so uh, then he takes off his cloak, which would have been symbolic of his position. Uh, 
in that culture at that time. The cloak, the tunic, all those kind of things were symbolic of their position, who they were. So it's not just like uh, uh, Jonathan takes his jacket off and tosses it over and says, put this on, Nick. It's, it's like he's taking the, the mantle, the tunic, the robe that the prince, the heir to the throne, would have been wearing. And he puts it on David. So there was a gesture there that basically was far more than just, you know, here's my coat, warm up. It really was saying, I'm, I'm basically surrendering my position because he was the heir apparent. He was the man that would be king. And, but he gave that because of the heart connection. See, David and Jonathan had a heart connection. Jonathan saw God's hand on David and Jonathan deeply loved David. And out of that, he gives him his cloak, his bow. He gives it all to him. So there's a really clear exchange at a high-level position level that takes place. In the 23rd chapter of First Samuel is at a point when Saul has decided that he's going to kill David. And he wants to get rid of him, which would be the normal thing to happen. It's surprising that Jonathan and Saul weren't doing it together because David would now be a threat to the throne. And so Saul wanted to get rid of him, wanted to kill him. This is after the the people began to, to chant David or Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And if you want to stay alive in a monarchy like that, you don't do better than the king does. And you don't give, you don't accept the robe from the king's son. So Samuel or Saul was very much afraid of David. And so now in the 23rd chapter, David, Saul's hunting David, wants to kill him, wants to get rid of him. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Zip. Day after day, Saul reached for him, but, excuse me, searched for him. But God did not give David into his hands. While David was out, was at Horish in the desert of Zip, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, here's Jonathan again. Saul's out to kill David. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father, Saul, may, will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Think about that for a minute. You'll be king over Israel. This is the man that should be king. And he's saying, you'll be king. And I will be second to you. Even my father, Saul, knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and Jonathan went home, but David remained at at Horish. The, again, the, the connection between the two is extremely, extremely strong. One of the things that I see in this story so clearly is a pattern of how to encourage one another. You know, in my travels, 
One of the things that I find in the body of Christ is desperate, desperate need for encouragement. I can't think of one thing the church needs today more than encouragement. Uh, and those that can give encouragement. And that's, you know, the Holy Spirit is the great encourager. And, and the need for encouragement in today's church, in today's world. Think of all the things that you deal with day in and day out. Think of all the things in the life of the church that are constantly encouragement, speaking courage into people's life. The word encourage is, we've taken it in, at least in the U.S., we've taken it as a very light word. When somebody says you're an encourager, what we tend to think is that, you know, so, you know, walk over and say, you know, Bob, you did a really good job with those announcements. And that's a good thing to do. But that it seems a little bit shallow, like just pat somebody on the back and say, good job. When it, what it really means is to, to encourage is to give courage. It's to literally give courage. It's to, to look into someone's life, see where they're at, the need they have, and give them courage to, to, to live. Give them courage to do the things that God has called them to do. So it's giving courage. To discourage means to take courage away. And I think most of us know enough people who are very, very good at discouraging. Now, I know it's none of us sitting here. But some people are just really good at it. They have a gift. If your things are going really well in your life, you know, they have an ability to come alongside you and steal every bit of courage that you have. There's a man in the New Testament, his name is Barnabas, and he was an encourager. And they finally stopped calling, his name was actually Joseph. And they stopped calling him Joseph and called him Barnabas because of his gift of encouragement. And because how important that really was. And you know, it was like when the apostles saw Barnabas coming, something inside of them said, Here comes courage. You know, I want to be, I want to be like that. You know, here comes courage. So, so much so that they stopped calling him Bar, uh, Barnabas or Joseph and started calling him Barnabas, son of encouragement. So the need is massive. You know, how many of you need encouragement? Any of you ever, ever go through that kind of thing? Yeah, I find that over and over and over. I need those that can speak fresh courage into my life. And, and that really is what David did, or excuse me, Jonathan did for David. In this, there's a pattern that, I, that really explains how he did it. And I think it relates to where we are and what God wants to do through us. The first thing is this. This is Jonathan going to David. Uh, first thing he does, Jonathan is aware of what's going on. If we're going to touch a community, if we're going to touch people's lives, we've got to be aware of what's going on in their life. If we're going to minister effectively to each other, we've got to be aware of what people are going through, what you're feeling, what your circumstances are. And I find that it's so easy to get so taken up with so many things that really being in tune with one another. If we want to touch a community, 
which I think that the church here is all about. If we want to touch the community, we have to be aware of what the needs of the community are. And I know we can all say they need the gospel. They need Jesus. Absolutely. But what are the felt needs that will open the door? Just pounding on the door and saying, you know, turn or burn isn't going to work anymore. Or pounding on the door and saying, you know, you need Jesus. You know, when you think about it, I, I used, I've worked a lot with YWAM, uh, an evangelism organization, and I love it so much. But I've often thought, isn't it a little bit insulting when somebody walks up you to, to you on a street corner and says, you, they've never seen you before, you've never seen them. They walk up to you on a street corner and say, I know exactly what you need. I mean, it's like, Really? But that's kind of how we've approached a lot of evangelism. But getting involved in the community, knowing where they're at, knowing what the felt needs are, is extremely important. And that's important in relationship to us with each other. Do we know each other enough to know what the needs of that person are? Or do we just, you know, we see them on Sunday, maybe see them at some other thing, but basically we don't really know one another. In a world that is desperately disconnected, we, we, we're the most, in one sense, the most connected people in history, but it's all electronic. And when it comes right down to it, there's not near the personal connection, but people still desperately need that personal connection. And so it, we need to be aware. Jonathan was aware of what David was going through. He, he knew what was happening. And the next thing he does is then he connects. So being aware and then connecting. Uh, Jonathan goes to David. When he knows what the situation is, he goes to David. He connects with David. He, he goes to him. And he doesn't, well, I suppose you could send a letter or send an email or a text, but he goes to him. There's something about somebody coming alongside of you in the middle of your struggle that makes all the difference in the world. Uh, several years ago, uh, my, my wife is really good at little notes and things like that. I'm not quite so, I mean, you know, I'm telephone, uh, you know, maybe a quick text, but she, well, she's actually gotten very good at text. She runs my life with text these days. And, uh, but she would always, when I would be off somewhere, I would always have a card from her. And I, I can think of times where I would actually arrive at a place I was speaking and there would be a card that someone would hand me said, this comes from Bev. And she had sent, thought it through, sent it, you know, in advance. And it would always be something about, you know, encouraging me and building me and so forth. Well, I decided on this particular trip that I was going to shock her and that I was going to stop. I had a layover. I was going to get a card and I was going to send it to her and it would, you know, it would, she'd be in total shock because that didn't happen. So I got off, went into this card shop, got the card I wanted. And then I saw a bunch of cards that said, I believe in you. 
and I started thinking about different people I knew. Some were family, some were people from the church. Uh, some of them were in the middle of some rough situations. One young man had just, he was in a juvenile uh, detention home, and he had come to the Lord and had just been released and went back home and got into this mess again. His father had abused him sexually all of his growing up years. He got back into that situation, and it 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 all turned really bad, and he was back in jail. And he wrote me a note, wrote me a letter, and uh, said, you know, Pastor, would you mind if I called you Dad? And I, I couldn't think of a greater honor than that. And so I wrote him back. I didn't, be, you know, and I sent him one of those cards, I believe in you. I didn't believe in what he had done, how he had responded. But, you know, sometimes when people are totally messing up, is when they need people to come along and say, I believe in you. And that can be true right around in our community. We believe in them, not here to judge them or or to, you know, aim stuff at them, but to, to believe in them and to see what God can do. Well, another pastor was an English pastor whose wife, he came home one evening with, uh, and his wife was standing at the front door with their, with their baby, eight-month-old baby, handed it to him and said goodbye and went out and got in the van with her lover. And his whole world just came apart in seconds. He had no idea of what was. And and just in seconds, his whole world, he had just planted a church and that was his dream. And that all, of course, came apart. He wasn't in any condition to follow through with that. Marriage tore apart. Uh, it, it was, it, it was disastrous. And I thought his name's Clive. And I thought Clive could use a card just saying, I believe in you. I believe in you. See, there's something about that kind of connection that is so important. And we live in a world where, where there's not an awful lot of that anymore. And so I bought all the cards, which were probably about 10 of them, that said, I believe in you. I bought them all. And uh, took them home or gave them or sent them to several people. And then for a long time, I carried one in my briefcase just to remind myself to believe in people, regardless of what they've done, to believe in them and care. Do you know how, how fertile the harvest is around here? And when someone can come along with love and care and demonstrate that I believe, not necessarily in what you did or what you're involved in, but I believe in you as a person and what God could do with your life. People are dying for that. They're dying for it. And we, I think that's where evangelism is going. And so that connection becomes extremely, extremely important. Jonathan went to David, and it says he strengthened his hand in God. He strengthened his hand. He spoke right words. In fact, that's the next point. He spoke words of courage, faith, and hope. Speaking words of courage, faith, and hope. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the whole community around here would look over and say, you know that place over there? That's a place of hope. If you're desperate, you'll find hope over there. 
If, if, if you're discouraged, your courage is gone, they, they could help you with it over there. I, I don't, I'm not sure that a lot of people see the church as a place of hope and see the church as a place of love and faith. I think too many people see the church as very restrictive and, and, and religious. They, even though that isn't necessarily how we think of ourselves, that's how an awful lot of people feel. But what would happen if they would begin to know that's a place of hope? That's a place where you're going to be loved. You're going to be loved there. And if you're going to go over there, just prepare yourself to be loved because you're going to be loved. If you like it or not, you're going to be loved. See, that kind of, what are we speaking? What are we saying? Are we passing judgment? Are we trying, you know, are we, are, is our words just religious? Or do they come from the heart of God that speaks hope and faith and life? Uh, the next one is they shared a vision. They shared a vision. Uh, Dave, or Jonathan says to David, my father, he's not going to kill you. You're going to be king, and I'm going to be next to you. Now, I mentioned it earlier, but that, that, that's absolutely unheard of. Here's Jonathan willing to give up his position because he sees God's hand on David, and he loves David. It's absolutely unheard of. In reality, it should have been Jonathan who killed David to get him because he's a threat. And, and Saul wanted to kill him because he's a threat. But David or Jonathan says, you're going to be king. I'm going to be next to you. He's not only saying you're going to be king, but he's, he's saying, I'm going to stay right there. I'm going to be right next to you. I'm going to walk with you through this thing. That, that's an incredible love story. That's an incredible, you know, what, what would happen with people that we know that just need somebody to walk alongside of them? That just need somebody that can speak life into them? That just believe in them and what God could do with their life? That have vision for people? When we talk about vision in church life, we're almost always, at least in the U.S. church, we're almost always talking about buildings and projects. Well, I'm, I'm convinced that the greatest visionaries are people visionaries. That people, they see something in people. They spot potential. And they're willing to give themselves to it. Jesus didn't come for another building or another project. And, and those things are needed. They're good. Nothing wrong there. But the bottom line, Jesus came for people. And I think God's calling his church back to that kind of commitment, that kind of love, not, not just the big project, big thing. So they shared a dream. Who do you share your dreams with? Do you have dreams? Have they all, has the dreams been kind of beat out of your life through life circumstances? You know, things that happened, dreams you had way back there, and, and they're, they're not there anymore because everybody told you you could never do that. If that's a dream that God put there, you can do it. Don't let anybody tell you you can't. May need some refining. 
And, and all of that's very true. You need may need maturity. All that's true. But don't let somebody steal your dream. See, that's what discouragement does. It steals the dream. It steals the, the vision, the talent. So who do you share your dream with? What is your dream? Let the Holy Spirit show you. Let him rekindle that in you. So they shared a dream, and then they made commitment to one another. I can't, I can't make it alone. I can't. I've tried, and I'm pretty, can be pretty self-sufficient. I need people around me. That, that really is the strength of the church, is that we're here together to walk with each other to be there for each other. We're not here just to show up on Sunday and hear a speaker and do some worship. All that's good. But see, there, what we've lost in so much church life is community, where we're in this together. We're better together. And together, we can accomplish so much more. And I really believe that's what God has called the church in Bassett Street to be. I think you've got an opportunity that many of the churches in the area don't have because it's already, it's already a seed planted in you. I've been around New Life long enough to know that it's a seed that was planted there. And that seed it, it just continues to grow. So it's already there. I don't think that the church in Bassa Street will be a mega church. And thank God for that. But I think it can be a church full of people coming to know Jesus, seeing their life transformed, developing relationships, and change a community because people love them, because people are willing, like Jonathan, to lay down his position so that the man that God chose and the man that he loved could be king. I, I really, I, I, I really, and I want to say this very sincerely. I believe in you. I believe in the vision and the ministry of the church on Bassett Street. I really do. I see the incredible need for this kind of fellowship. And I don't, I'm not saying, well, let's try to do a big advertising campaign and let everybody know we're here. Just go do it. Just go love people. Just go care about people. Just go reach out practically to people. Meet them where they are and love them and watch and see what God does with that. I'm convinced that the, the major thrust of ministry and evangelism in this next generation is, is going to come through relational connections. And it's not, it's going to come through service. I love Billy Graham. I mean, one of my heroes. But I, I think the day of those massive crusades is over. But that doesn't mean that Jesus touching people's lives is over. Not by far. It's just changing. And our world is changing a great deal. And COVID was part of that change. But, but it, you know, God's still alive. God still has a dream. For us, God still has a vision. God has a vision for the church in Bassett Street. And I believe it's, it's strategic to this entire community around here. And we can do it. 
It doesn't take an awful lot of training. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be a professional in this or that. You just have to be someone who says, I, I want to give my life to people. Whether it's my neighbor or whether it's feeding people in the food line or whether, whatever it is, I want to give my life to people and serve. And I think that will become the door, the key for evangelism as we move forward. Does that make sense to you? So David and Jonathan, God knit them together. And you can see so well in this picture, you can see the steps of how Jonathan was aware of what was happening. Jonathan went to David when he was aware of the need, went to him, risked his life in some ways to go to him. They, they, he spoke words of faith and courage. Didn't tell him all the negatives. Didn't come down with all the impossibilities. You know, the impossibility of what a little church on Bassett Street's gonna really do. He, it, that, he came and said, this, it can happen here. It can happen here. Go for it. They shared their dream. And they made a commitment to each other. I'm in this for the long run. I'm, I'm here with you. I'm walking with you. We're together. A commitment that is so desperately needed in a world that knows so little about commitment anymore. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you know from my years of being in and out of New Life and now the church in Bassett Street, uh, you gave me in the very beginning a deep love for this place. And... It's not the, I hope as I say this, everybody will understand, it's, it's not the coolest place in town to be. It's not the most sophisticated place. It's not full of amazingly amazing people who are, have high, are high society and have the ability to touch the influential. It's just ordinary people who you've brought together for such a time as this. And Lord, I pray that just what I've shared this morning will be like a shot in the arm that not only says that I believe in them and their vision, but you believe in them and the vision that you've given. So Lord, let this be a time of breakthrough and fresh understanding of what you want to do in this generation. Your church is alive and well. We've had our hits, and those hits will probably continue to come. But you, you always win. You are victor. And we're, and, and you're committed to us. So help us be able to tie into your vision, your plan for what you want to do at this location through this group of people and, and help us to know that uh, your, your yoke is easy and your burden is light and you're going to get us to the right places at the right time to share your life. And Lord, I pray too, if there are those sitting here today that are themselves deeply discouraged, that you will just touch them. That this, you will just touch them, Lord. While your heads are bowed for just a minute, are there those that are struggling a lot with discouragement right now? Can you just hold your hand up and say, that's me, yeah. 
Hold your, hold your hands up if you're struggling with discouragement. Okay. Can I ask you to do one thing with me? Just those are sitting around these people. Just look at them and put your hand on their shoulder. We all do it. We all go through it. If you're not discouraged now, I don't want to be prophetic here, but you'll probably be before the end of the day. We all go through it. And this is where we need each other. So everybody that raised their hand has somebody with them. Okay, don't want any, anybody to be left out. Okay, thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, you see these that raise their hand, and you see what, what they've gone through and are going through. I know what it's like to be deeply discouraged to the point you just, you can't function. And you just feel like giving up everything. And Lord, I ask this morning, this afternoon, that you will come by the power of your spirit and that you will break the power of that depression. And Lord, let them feel an overwhelming sense of your love for them. Let them feel an overwhelming sense of your presence. And let them feel a body of believers that genuinely care about them. So, Lord, will you touch them in Jesus' name? Will you touch them in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening so carefully.